Welcome to the For the Makers podcast. Um, I hope you all are having a wonderful day today. I'm so glad that you're here with us. I'm Beth Etheridge, one of your co-hosts, and I'm also joined here by my other co-host, Rachel Gifford. Hey, hey, hey. Hey. How you doing, bud? I'm so good. <laughs> good. I'm so glad. Um, you guys, I'm so happy that you're here with us today. Um, just a little reminder, we uh, release our episodes every second and fourth Friday of the month um, because we all know that you clap on the two and the four not not the one and the three (laughs) so (laughs) so expect that every Friday um, the second and fourth week Um, you guys we have a really great guest here with us today yeah we're really excited about this we're pumped about it (laughs) Um, Kimberly Yates is here with us and so um, Rach can you give us a little uh, yeah little bio a little cold read yeah give it to us here we go Kimberly Yates is a New York-based actress. Some of her favorite projects include the LA premiere of The Mistakes Madeline Made by Elizabeth Merriweather, creator of New Girl, the New York premiere of Fabuloso at the Irish Repertory Theater, The Cherry Orchard playing opposite Jim Parsons, The Wool Gatherer play playing opposite uh, The Wool Gatherer, sorry, playing opposite Bradley Cooper, along playing alongside Sue Galloway in The Wonder of the World, and Criminal Minds, Kirsten Vingsness in The Invisible Play. She can be heard in tons of anime features, including Evangelion, big deal, Gunsmith, uh, Cats, and Reader Die, for which she won the W Award for Best Voice Actress in a Leading Role. Kimberly, that's awesome. Uh, she's the acting coach for clients including ASAP Rocky, Jack Whitehall, and two-time Emmy winner Tamara Braun. Uh, one of the founding members of the improv team High Status and their spinoff podcast called High Tea. I love that so much. Uh, she gave a TED Talk called Relearning Forgiveness, which we will link that yeah, in our 100%. podcast description. We love a TED Talk. Yep. Uh, she graduated with a Master's of Sacred Theology from General Theological Seminary in May of 2022 and won the historic Seymour Prize for Extemporaneous Preaching. She has written uh, the book Rivers of Life, a 40-day devotional, the film Relatively Speaking, starring Jim Parsons, and was commissioned to write the short film Kissing. She has recently workshopped her first full-length play, Le Joie, a play about suffering. It is based on the Chagall painting named Le Joie, so if the title is hard to pronounce, blame it on him. (laughs) I love that. Kimberly, thanks for being here today. Yeah, I'm so excited. I am so excited, too. So we know each other from the first the first, right? Yeah, the first workshop, workshop of, Le Joie, yeah. of Le Joie. and the second, and the second. Yeah, I guess we can. It almost feels like the extended of the first, but yes. um, yeah. So we met through a mutual friend of ours, Josh Dunn, friend mm-hmm. of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. As we're saying, um, he's the glue. He of is the world. Josh, kind of. I was about literally to say, knows yeah. everybody. 
Um, you know how we met, which was insane. He worked for me. I was producing an event for American Express in the U.S. Open. Oh my gosh! Wait, really? Yes. Yeah. And so he was he was a PA for me. Oh my gosh! And we got to talking and talking about his dance, and I was like, I have a part for you. Wow, that's yes. so cool. Yep. Yeah, and then Josh joined in the second workshop mm-hmm. for Le Joie. Mm-hmm. So when he couldn't do the first workshop, I was like, well, you have to make it up for me to me. So yeah. like, <laughs> give me some names. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And now there's like this beautiful like Le Joie community mm-hmm. that has formed that I just love because then everybody... Well, will you tell us a little bit about it? Because it's a devised, or part of it is a devised play. And I don't think a lot of people know what that means. Sure, it's a it's a hybrid play. So part of it is traditional, like a traditional just written play. Part of it's devised and part of it is improvised. Mm. And I didn't do this on purpose. I didn't do this to be like exciting because everyone's like, oh my gosh, this is so cutting edge. I did not do it to be cutting edge. (laughs) It was just the story. And it's what the story required. It's a story that happens in multiple worlds. It happens in in our world and otherworldly place. um, And it just, that's what it needed to be. Right. And so wait, what am I supposed to be saying about it exactly? Oh, just what devising is. Yeah. So devising is different from improvisation. Mm. So improvisation is new every time you see it, right? Every mm-hmm. night. Devising is completely set. Right. But what I like to think about it is devising is like the rehearsals are improvised. Mm-hmm. Totally. You start with a, you start with a source, like mm-hmm. whether it be a play, like source material, a play. The most commercial version of it is the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime mm-hmm. that was on Broadway in the West End, and so it start. It, they tend to g- lean towards very multimedia, movement based stuff. So in that one, in the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime, uh, we took it was the main character was an autistic boy, mm-hmm. and so it kind of created what it was like to be inside of an autistic mind. Right, and devising is really good for that. So in my play. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler. We're gonna should I give a spoiler or no? I'll just say that we end up in another world. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah, so yeah. to so to create this other world, I was like, well, whatever I create behind this computer is not gonna be ex- as exciting as is if I get a bunch of other brains. Right. Because it just needs to be weird and but because I'm casting actors who are subject to gravity and they have human bodies, totally. like we're actually on this planet. So how right. do we create another world? Right. And um, devising is great for that because devising, it's not only that it's improvisational in rehearsals, but the core of it is really about a democratic process. Mm. So whereas normally creatives, like the costume designer, the lighting designer, the director, the producer, they all have meetings. And then the dramaturg or whoever describes the world to the actors and then they rehearse and those groups, the creatives and the rehearsers are separate. Right. Most of the time in devising, which is why it's such an expensive process and long, uh, and sometimes a lengthy process, Mm -hmm. is the creatives are in the room with the actors. So the costume designer might get an idea and throw you a shoe and then you do something and the lighting designer gets an idea. And that's why they tend to be multimedia. Right. Because the designers are in the room. So, yeah. Oh, I never thought about that aspect of it that they do. They tend to be multimedia Mm -hmm. because of that fact. (gasps) Interesting. That's really cool. Especially when it comes to like 
with Curious instead of Dog in the Nighttime, I'm a huge Marion Elliott fan directorially. I am obsessed, <laughs> a little low-key <laughs> obsessed with her. I love her so much. So like watching, seeing the Curious incident of Dog in the Nighttime, all of the multimedia that's involved in that, like the lighting with the track on the floor and like all of those different things, that makes a lot of sense. I never thought about the like, yeah, such intimate collaboration between the performers or playmakers, you know, and then the yeah. designers. Absolutely. And the people listening can go and look up YouTube and there's some on YouTube, there's some great clips of their rehearsal process. And oh, I think cool. what works so well about that one, I think devised work works the best. Well, actually, I'm going to say anything. I love when function and form kind of come out of narrative. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I think it works so well for Curious Incident is because it's not just a wouldn't it be cool to make this look cool. Right. It's yeah. like way we want to, the book itself is inside of his brain. Right. I, I, I haven't read the book, but I believe it's first person. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they'll talk about in some of the interviews, like how do we bring an autistic, I think he's maybe like 11 or 12, 13 year old boy's mind to life. How do we let people know what it would be like when he's in a train station running away from home? Right. One of the biggest train stations in the UK in London. Right. When he's when someone who has feels sensory input more than the average person. Yeah. How does that feel to him? And how right. do we make the audience so not just like, wow, it'd be cool if he's walking, if a little kid's walking through and people are picking him up and there's lights shining and stairs are appearing out of nowhere. It's for a reason. It's because we are trying to feel what it would feel like to have sensory overload and Mm -hmm. be lost and be alone and be a child. Right. And much the same way with Le Joie, with the project Rachel and I are working on, it's, we're going to a different world Mm -hmm. and humans are going to a different world. So it's inviting the audience into this, really uh, just different way of being totally so the devising was we want to make it feel really not just foreign but it's it starts out pretty magical and pretty disney there's some other elements which we won't give spoilers away but it's devising really came out of it just because it was like well how do i how do i bring this to life right Mm -hmm. how do because it needs to be i can't just say on the page. So when you read the script, it'll say, you know, please tailor, make this to to everyone. So part of our rehearsal process, I drove them crazy, probably ask a million times, (laughs) what are your special skills? Send me your special skills. Even if you don't think it's a special skill, what's like really pushing them into deeper levels Mm -hmm. where they hadn't even thought of what a special skill might be. Totally. So for instance, Josh, who we talked about, he can make realistic bird sounds. And I don't mean like, yeah, Tweet, tweet, or no, I no, mean like yeah. where people, the first time we did it, people are looking around, oh, was a window open? Yeah. <laughs> it's that, and they can be really subtle, they're really quiet, and he making the bigger, and, he, and it's more than one bird at one time, yeah. which is crazy. And so that suddenly gets written into the play. Totally. Or like Sophie, one of our actresses, who's now touring with Jagged Little Pill, yeah. Sophie, Sophie Morris, Morris. Yeah. she, uh, we were working on, I was working on a thing with her, and she goes, well... I don't know if this is a special skill that counts, but I'm a songwriter. I'm like, that counts. And we were working on a piece because when you devise you, we give you little assignments and you break up. Right. And then as we were working on the piece, I was, it was me and Sean and Sophie, Sean Evans, shout out to him. Yeah. Great actor. Love you, Sean. He, uh, and, and when she, we were looking for music, cause often you start with music when you're doing these little vignettes. Totally. 
while you're rehearsing. And she said, well, I wrote a song that kind of goes with this. And so <laughs> she sang a version of it, like acapella taught us some of it. It became part of our little vignette. And they say when you're devising, you have to be willing to let go of 95% of it. Right. Like you have to assume you're only going to, only 5% is going to be usable. I think we had a much higher ratio than that. Yeah. Don't you think? I would say so. And then, so Sophie's a, a re- a reworked version of part of her song acapella ended up in the show and will probably be there forever. Like be a part of it now. So it has a little writing credit in it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's really cool. I, um, sorry, Rich, were you going to say something? No, no, go for it. Okay. Um, we, I went, how I met you was at the very first or one of the first, um, Le Joie like presentations. I came to see her and she had been telling me all about the process and what was going on. And I was like, I have to come experience what is going on. And so as an audience member, I think it was really cool to see something feel so otherworldly because we're so used to being in our world that like being thrust into a different, totally different environment with totally different rules, um, really made, stretched me even as a person, but also as an artist. Um, cause it made me be like, okay, I, especially doing it in without a set and without lighting and without costumes or any of that, it really, I had to picture everything that was going on, what everything looked like in my mind, um, mm-hmm. which was really cool. Cause then it sparked a lot of really great conversation afterward with a bunch of our friends. We were like, what do you think this was like? Or what, what did this invoke in you? Or what was this like for you? Um, which was really cool. So props. It was really <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I like as an actor and like being a part I had never done devised work before and it was such, it's such a gift to just be like given this playground of like, okay, let's just, uh, make up something about this, this, and this, like you have to get from point A to point B and you have to include, you know, we'd put in like a couple rules or something, right? Yeah, there'd always be rules that might be, it might be like, um, there has to be contact improv in it. mm -hmm. You have to have, uh, half of a song, three spoken lines, uh, maybe like someone has to make someone else a sculptor. Yeah. Like there's a language of device, like there's exercises Mm -hmm. and you, there has to be a little ditty in it. Someone has to hop on one leg, whatever. You tend to give like 10 things. Yeah. And then you say, okay, now you have 20 minutes to go and bring back a two minute piece. Right. And what's fantastic, I was just meeting with the director right before I came here and he was we were talking about how the purpose of all of that is to get you out of your mind, out mm. of your, like, not out of your mind like crazy, but like, yeah. <laughs> like separated from the point A to point B, right? right? Is it, we were talking about how we both are method trained, he sure. and I, and we were talking about how it's the opposite of the method, mm-hmm. but in trying to kind of get to the same, using transference is what he said, still using a yeah. type of transference, but whereas the method is going back in your own life and your own experience and using the sensory and emotional cues from that, and bringing right. them into the present day, this is completely getting away from your own experience. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you try to really overwhelm the performer's mind. Right. You give them so many things. In fact, we were talking about how the rules themselves are not that important. Like it's not so important that you fit in all 10 things. Totally. The reason mm-hmm. why you fit in all 10 things is because you want a short circuit. Mm. your the thinking 
we in the Western world, you know, we're we're brain dominant, totally, right? and we're information dominant, and we're yeah. linear narrative dominant, and so it's to short circuit that mm-hmm. and find that childlike creativity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I've been studying the Meisner technique over the last like two years, and it was cool to see there are some parallels with because. Meisner is kind of going away from, there's a lot of like, let's fill your brain with other things rather than uh, like going method. Sure, right, right. Rather than going inside. Right, exactly. Um, And so it's interesting in the process um, kind of seeing some of the crossovers, but it is, it just takes you back to like the childlike wonder and imagination. Like my imagination was so challenged in the best way and it just got me to be so much more creative and then kind of interestingly enough like that has helped me so much in acting just like period right right because oh, wow. um, it just it's like that muscle I feel like sometimes you know we don't if you don't work it it's like anything else it's just kind of uh it you need that challenge sometimes to keep your mind sharp right um well Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm going to change directions. I have been cutting you off like three You're times fine. in this conversation. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It. I think um, as perform- as artists, as creatives, especially as film artists or theater artists, I think we have um, that little voice in our head that we, you know, at, especially being trained, where we're constantly critiquing ourselves. We're constantly looking over our own shoulder saying, oh, well, you could have been more in the moment here. You should do this or you're trying, you know, what's my objective? What's my, what, you know, whatever that may be. And there's always this phrase of like, you do the work and then when you get in the room, you throw it away. And I always felt like that was totally impossible. I was always like, what do you mean? No, like what I've been working on is going to be like hanging over my head. But I think recognizing, stretching the muscle of, the little kid on the playground who pretends to fight the dragon. Like that's what all of us started as at some point in our lives. We've all been the little kid with the stick in our hand pretending to fight the dragon. Um, And so being able to stretch that muscle again and pour into that and be like, okay, so how do I get back to that state of just freedom, just free play? Um, She always talks about how like, calls people playmates and I love that that's like one of my favorite things that she will say when we're in a collaborative space is like oh hey playmates or like let's do something playmates or whatever it may be because it takes us back it like shocks us back to our like playground days which in an essence that's what we get to do as actors especially and as uh theater makers is we're just playing pretend (laughs) like that's true and it's awesome I love that and it's important there are things that we've known forever that now because we have things like MRI machines Mm -hmm. neurology is sort of proving quote unquote but people knew for a long time and the importance of play and creativity and like you say Rachel it is everyone is creative but it is something that can be lie dormant Mm -hmm. totally yeah and play is I believe essential for happiness mm-hmm. yeah. and for thriving and, and devising is just one other way yeah. to get to it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And because we're adults, what's, what's genius about devising is there are rules and there are exercises. We yeah. first, because <laughs> Brian first said to me when I was like, I cast these people and he didn't tell me I needed to cast divisors. He's like, what? So we <laughs> yeah. did take the first part. M- most of the rehearsal process was yeah. teaching y'all the language of devising. Mm-hmm. And, 
I think that's great for adults because it isn't just like kids. It isn't just like, oh, you have you have an hour, go outside and play. Right. It is like, okay, no, here's some rules because adults right. like rules. It's yeah. a place to start. It's not a completely <laughs> totally. blank page. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I know. I love that he was like, wait, who did you bring in for this? <laughs> you did what? No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I do want to go back a little bit um, because – in your bio, I mean, you do so many things, Kimberly. You're primarily an actress, but then you write, and not just for stage, but you've written for screen and you've written books, so many different things. Um, you coach. So take me back to what got you into the arts. When I was three years old, I told my mom I wanted to pretend for a living. Mm. Wow. Well, that, you were like, here it is. Here it is. And I sometimes have gone on like talk shows or podcasts and felt a little bit, I guess, bad about that because mm. you'll listen to other actors and they'll be like, oh, it was this director or was this, and it feels very outside of them. Like they were inspired by the art itself. Mm. And mine can almost feel to me sort of self-absorbed because I'm like, no, see, I like to physically do things like mm, I'm I yeah. am an actress in every sense of the word sure yeah I um am in some ways I'm fascinated with human behavior and how to replicate it in believable ways but then even above that just how to use the whole of my humanity I how to like I love physical exertion yeah, and sure. and using your voice and um so when I was little it wasn't about I can't point to things that were like, oh, this this inspired me or I loved this person's work. Yeah. Even though I do love stories, I am a storyteller, I do love narrative. But really it was, so that moment, and I still remember it very clearly, my mom let me, you know how you have like little pretend chores. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I ha was dusting, right? Uh -huh. And so my parents never pushed, pushed education in a, in a really heavy handed way. But my mom did teach us all to read when we were two. Mm -hmm. So we kind of had wow. that slight, that part of the world was opened up to us. Right. So I'd now been reading for a year, right? I was three. Yeah. I was like a seasoned reader and I was dusting, which I'm sure someone had to come and do it again. <laughs> sure, sure. But I'm dusting and I'm doing a little commercial in my head and I say, for a complete shine, use, and I start to, and I'm looking forward like the camera and I realize that I'm not holding, it doesn't feel like the pledge bottle that I'm used to. So I'm like, mm -hmm. oh no. What's the name of the product? And so I look at it like in character, you know, like yeah. I'm like for a complete shine <laughs> use and the name of it was called complete. So it's like for a complete shine use. And I was like, complete. And then I was like, <laughs> I am, I am. And I wasn't like a super haughty kid. Yeah. I was just like, clearly God made me to pretend yeah. like this yeah. is yeah. that one that little moment. tiny moment. And then I, I was like, that. went to my mom, like mama, I am going to pretend for a living. She's like, really? I was like, yes, that's going to be my job. Oh my gosh. And I love that. And then as I was getting, as I was, you know, four or five, six, seven, I really loved if I was super happy to try to make myself cry or I recognized that I was a pretty, wow. um, pretty feminine mover. So mm. I would try to, like, I would try to act like more like a boy, yeah. move like that. Right. And, and this didn't even always happen with other people. A lot of this was alone, but it was, it was just so much about what I wanted to experience in my mm. own body. Hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's so cool. So you started out acting. Mm -hmm. Did you start working professionally at a young age? 
I did kind of. So, but also not. So okay. my my parents, in fact, no one thought I was going to be a professional actress right. yeah. because I'm also kind of a brainy girl. Mm-hmm. So they, and, and there were certain things like I was really great at science and I hated science, but, <laughs> but I wasn't a complainer. Yeah. So no one knew that. Yeah. Um, I had this thing where I loved math. And I loved literature, but I didn't trust science and history because I felt like they pretended to be math, but they were actually literature. Mm. It's like, oh, how do we know this history, this science? This is not two plus two is four. Right, and they're right. acting like it is. And this is <laughs> totally. irritating to me. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> though I may have been irritated inside, I wouldn't, wouldn't really express that. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when I graduated from my high school, they were super disappointed um, because I was their valedictorian and they liked their valedictorian and I had gotten a bunch of scholarships to like big science schools and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I'm going to be a theater major. Right. And yeah. the principal told me I should whip myself with a wet noodle. <gasps> they were what? really, yeah, they were really, really, oh really upset. Gosh. And even my parents were like, oh, really? Oh, like they were, they were like, fine. Right. They were like, wait, what? Yeah. Um, but I had already been doing, I, I started doing, um, voiceovers. So Mm -hmm. I did a lot of, as you heard from my bio, I did a lot of anime and other kind of voices, Mm -hmm. um, when I was really young, Mm -hmm. but I don't think people thought that was just like, instead of working at the gap, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. totally. Oh my gosh. So then when I had a very, I had a private life. I was very private, I think super, super private when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And so there was all this stuff going on inside of my private life. Yeah. And I think I just assumed people knew that about me. <laughs> totally, yeah. And then yeah. to realize, wait. Yeah. You guys don't know this? <laughs> you don't yeah, know yeah. this? Right. But I mean, I was I was in drama and I was like, you know, went to competitions every weekend. and mm-hmm. But they, they just thought I was going to, I mean, my dad really thought I was going to be a pediatrician. And I'm like, that is so specific. A pediatrician? A pre- right, exactly. Like, well, you're really great with kids. And you're, and I was like, no. No. Like, what? Yeah. yeah. I used to spit when I heard the word blood. Yeah. <laughs> so like, how do, what did you, th- where, what? Where are you going with this, dad? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So then when did you start, when did writing become part of? your creative life? Always and never. So okay. writing is one of those things that I have to, I have to grapple with a lot. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I started writing really young and winning things really young, but mm-hmm. I went to a private school where we had to be out well, I shouldn't say had to, but there was a feeling, there's a lot of money being raised all the time, sure. right? So it was, I don't want to say I was paraded about, that sounds negative, but it was a little bit like, go to the speech competition, go to mm, go to sure, the Optimist sure. Club, go to the, mm-hmm. so it felt like there, and, and maybe they were just also making things available to us. Mm-hmm. And maybe I also just as a kid felt like the need to, oh, to participate. Sure. And so I would, it, there would be a slot and I would fill it like, oh, we need someone to write a short story. And then it would go to a national competition and then I would win. And it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. But I never have enjoyed writing because mm. I like working in a group. I don't like solitary yeah. uh, creation. Uh, what wasn't in my bio was that I designed clothes right out of school for a no while. Whoa. And that was a funny thing where I really loved that atmosphere of working a little bit alone inside of a bigger context where you have a trim person and a colorist and a merchandiser and all of that kind of stuff. And so writing, like when I wrote the book, which was commissioned, you know, I had an editor, Mm -hmm. but mostly that was like the worst period of my life writing that book. Like I was just like, I am miserable. And 
So there's a lot of people, including my father, who always encouraged me to write. My oldest brother is a very successful writer, poet. Mm-hmm. And he, Ronnie Elliott, if you want to look his stuff up. Okay. But he, I think of him as the writer. And he's also a writing teacher. Mm-hmm. So my experience with writing has really just been, I do it, well, okay. So there's this, there are things that we want from the world. Mm-hmm. And there are things that the world wants from us. Hmm. And I think there's a place where they intersect. If you think of a diagram of like two circles. Sure. Yeah. And I sometimes think the sweet spot is there. Mm. And I think sometimes we're, if we stubbornly stay where the world doesn't want us, like if I wanted to be a professional basketball player mm. and I just kept staying with that and the world just doesn't really want right. that from me, yeah. um, that's an issue. Mm-hmm. And then there are some things the world might want from me, like, maybe the world, some parts of the world might be interested in me being a prostitute. And I'm just sure. not down with that at sure. all. But I think sometimes if I were to s- stubbornly stick with wanting to be a basketball player, mm-hmm. I might have to end up in a version of prostitution. You know, mm. I might end up doing something mm. else that the world wanted for me that sure. I really, really didn't want to do. Um, yeah. That's a pretty blue example I just gave. Yeah. but <laughs> No, I, that makes sense though. But somewhere in the middle. So where writing comes in for me is sometimes guilt, sometimes like, oh, sure. you're so good at this, you're so good at this. Like, I think, you know, I I work with N.T. Wright, and he's mm-hmm. really encouraging of me as a writer. I know you're a writer, and I, and I help him edit mm-hmm. um, some of his lectures and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I really love, and when I just finished my thesis, I mean, people right. are always saying, oh, you should write, you should yeah. write. But I really loathe the process. Totally. and. And also just because I'm bored of being in my own brain. Like, sure, I already right. know what's there. Yeah. yeah. You know, I want to know what's in your brain and what's in your brain because right. that's the yeah. that's the adventure. That's like the unknown territory. Totally. And so part of it is guilt and part of it, because I do think I have a facility for it. Mm-hmm. But then part of it, the way I kind of make the two circles intersect is creating opportunity for myself. Mm-hmm. So... Almost everything that I have written has been a vehicle for my actress. Yeah. Or or something for a, a vehicle for my faith. Right. Um, a lot of it has also, or all of it has been for finances, right? right like yeah. it's the sort of moneymaker. And I'll tell myself, well... This is the best waiting tables job ever. Right, yeah, <laughs> totally. Kind of thing. So, in fact, it's funny. I work with, I coach a lot of what I call crossover clients, mm. like people who are writers on big talk shows or big mm. television shows that want to become actors, or maybe they're singers or rappers and they want to become actors or mm. they're musicians. Um, shout out to CAA who sends me all my clients. They're <laughs> fantastic to work with. Yeah. And there's one without... I have NDAs for all this stuff, so I have to be so careful about what I say. But there is one person that I have who has an amazing job. In fact, I have so many writers, I can just say a writer, because no one's ever going to trace which writer this is, but who writes for a big, huge television show, Mm -hmm. but is an actor by trade. Mm. And what I tell him often is I was like, you have the best waiting tables job ever. Yeah, true. You know, you have like a a six to seven-figure waiting tables job that and that is also in the industry and that is also working out those muscles and because this is for the makers I think you do have to be careful my dad told me something once that was really a smart thing to say I was Mm. this is when I was in high school and I was 
the Alley Theater. I'm from Houston, mm-hmm. Texas, and yeah. that's the big theater in our town. And there was an opportunity in the summer to be to work in the box office. And there was also a director who was around who was trying to discover me. He's a Broadway director. Mm-hmm. And he had seen me in a few things. And just, you know, my dad knew that at that point, at this point, my parents knew I wanted to be an actor. And my dad did not want me to take this job. And mm-hmm. he said, and I was like, but I get to be at the alley and hang around all these people. He's like, yeah, but you're in the box office. And he said, there is such a thing as the right place at the right time. And then there is such a thing at the to being at the right place at the right time in the wrong capacity. Oof. And you have to remember that when you take other jobs in your field is actually it might be better to wait tables Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. to do something in another part of the industry where people. So I don't do a lot of onset coaching. I did it twice. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I'm done with that because then they only see me as a coach Mm -hmm. and not as an actor anymore. Mm -hmm. And. I think you do have to be aware of that. But when I'm writing vehicles for myself, I always lead with actress mm-hmm. and yeah. actress writer. And they know very well when I come in the room mm-hmm. that that's, that I'm part of the package. Yeah. yeah and it totally. does feel like writer, actress is still in a creative realm. And also if you get too many, even if you do it all, cause I also, I've produced and mm-hmm. I've directed, but I don't always list all that because it starts to dilute it. People don't take you seriously. Totally. Yeah. When you're like, they're like, oh, okay, I see. They're all self-produced or, you know, or, yeah. you know, you have to, and it's, it's, it's people should applaud that, mm-hmm. but they don't. It's like, yeah. like the book that I wrote was published by someone else. But when you, if you, if I were to write writer producer, mm-hmm. people would think it was a self-published published book. And there's nothing wrong with a self-published book, but unfortunately yeah. people have their biases. Totally. And so I do think you kind of have to protect your, just the focus of what you're trying to do. Just really focus what you're trying to do because there's so many opportunities out there. Yeah. If you don't decide, I think there's a funny balance. I'm a yes person. I say yes to everything. Uh Totally. And I think that's brought me on lots of adventures. But this year, (laughs) this year, (laughs) my, my, my theme for the year is focus and finish. Mm, Focus on things and finish. And then as I was praying about that, this other kind of phrase came. And I don't even like alliteration. I'm like, God, why why are we, why are we talking in alliteration? (laughs) Why are we doing this right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it was the word, um, it was the phrase, uh, release and return. So I called my old pastor who lives in Bali and I was like, so should I have four words? Should I have one? Focus, (laughs) finish, release, return. And she talked me through all of them. She's like, actually, I think, I think it's all of them. I think this is how it's going to work. And it has part of the return. She she was talking about the, the idea of repentance in the Hebrew word, which you may be familiar with, but it's about turning around right it's like a 180 turn Mm -hmm. and we often associate repentance like repenting for something you've done wrong Mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily always just that it's you could be on a path that's leading you away from who you are yeah from Mm -hmm. who god created you to be and it's this like just turn around back 180 degrees and go back to where you were and so i do feel like i would want to say to the makers out there before you dilute your creative energies Mm -hmm. think about what your goal is there's this book that this guy dr oz i'm trying to remember what his first name is called nine things Mm. 
He has the best. He wrote a book called Boundaries, which I think yeah. a lot of people. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Same guy. So the nine things, it has like a subtitle. It's like nine things to that everyone's successful in love or life. I don't know. It's a long subtitle. <laughs> but it's nine things that he is a, he's kind of a, a coach to like big CEOs and things mm-hmm. like that. And he talks about what are the nine things that he noticed they all have in common to be successful. And he's like, these are not actually things to be healthy necessarily. Sure. sure. Yeah. But these are things that I've <clears throat> noticed highly successful people have. And one of them he calls pull the tooth. And he gives an example of someone who buys a corporation. I believe it's not Fortune 500 and it gets to be Fortune 500 or something like that. But he sells off 80% of the company that's making money at pennies on the dollar. And they're like, what? Mm -hmm. And he's saving what he calls the 20% gold, like Mm. the 20% best. So I would encourage makers Mm. to focus on the 20% best. It's hard to do. I know. That's good good, though. Like, yeah, that's a good way of just packaging that whole concept. I've actually been having a lot of conversations with friends very recently just about about that focus and about the the side hustles that we have to do as creative people and how it can be so tempting to it can be very tempting to suddenly be going after the the adjacent thing that you actually want to be doing so like I mean for example like I've been thinking about dramaturgy recently. It's something I'm super interested in, but then I also will think like, okay, am I am I thinking about that because I I like writing? Like mm, is that the adjacent right. thing? And um my friend Amy Helms, friend of the podcast. <laughs> I don't know why we always say that. Um she sent me this picture this morning of this basically this uh it's the sequel to The Art of Wait. The War of Art. Uh-huh. I almost said The Art of War. Yikes. Um, the War of Art. <laughs> Not the same. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, I can't remember what the what the sequel is, but it's it's that whole concept of like focus on focus on the twenty percent. Like that's so that's so good. And I think after time, we like we have to remind ourselves of that. Like every once in a while, because as time goes on, it can just be so easy to like be so spread thin that we're not actually doing the things or that we're not actually putting our energy toward the things that we want to be um doing have you found that to be like difficult in your own life oh absolutely yeah that's why my bio looks like it does in some ways I think the clearest example for me was designing clothes because I I also think maybe a lot of performers feel this way but we're pretty present people. Like mm-hmm. I'm always in the nanosecond yeah. and I actually can be very happy doing a lot of things, quite joyful. Mm-hmm. So suddenly when I graduate from school and I pop into, and that's a whole story that is just how I ended up not going to fashion school. And I'm suddenly an assistant designer for two weeks and then an associate designer for six months and then a designer mm-hmm. um, for, you know, huge name brands and I'm like, and my sell-throughs are insane. It's how did that, there, there's something, I don't, I guess maybe the, since we're in Lent, we can can focus on like the pride part of me is like, you know, in New York, everyone I knew was an actor, but, and suddenly I'm like, Oh, 
I'm a, I'm a designer now. I'm sending like you were said you want to talk about Jim Parsons or like I'm yeah. sending Jim Parsons and Bradley Cooper free jeans, and I'm like, guys, I'm I'm designing <laughs> right, and actually, Bradley was one of the few people brave enough. To, we were at some opening night party, and he saw me. He's like, wait, so you're designing now? And he's like, oh, did you, did you do that dress? And he's talking about it. He's like, wow, that's great. And he's like, uh, used <laughs> an expletive. He's like, what the blank are you doing? You're an actress. Mm. And, I, wow. and it was like, okay, there's a little bit of honesty. But, I mean, I was very thankful for that. Yeah. Of course, I didn't listen to him and did it for several more years. Right. Yeah. But it was it, – it's important to have those people in your life yeah. who – because I think part of me – Right out of school, you know, there were a lot of struggling actors, mm-hmm. and it just seemed like, you know, this is the world I know, and right. it's, and then, wow, like, I'm literally walking down the street, and I am seeing people wearing things that came out of my head. Mm. I mean, that's happened to me hundreds of times. You're yeah, just walking crazy. down the street, and you're like, wow, I remember the moment I thought of that, and why I thought of that, yeah. and it feels very cool, and then, you know, you're getting paid, and you're going, and I love color, and I'm, I, 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 I draw like I grew up. It's a funny thing. I won a drawing contest in second grade, and then I was like, "Never gonna draw again." Because done, <laughs> I've just, oh, yeah, I did it. Done that. Yeah, yeah. And then I've in made it. and then in acting school, yeah, I made it. Um, and then in acting school, we had to have a semester of painting, mm-hmm. and the painting teacher. Uh, when we had like our, at the end, when, at the end of the semester, when all the teachers get together and give you feedback, she was like, you need to stop being an actress and you need to be a painter. And the head of the program was like, no, no, what are you saying? No, stop, stop yeah. doing that. And so I kind of prayed for an opportunity to draw or to paint because it was something that I'd left dormant except those two tiny periods in my life. So then when I got and I got to be a designer, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm drawing all the time. Right. I'm getting yeah. to use this skill. And so I do think things can be wrapped around. It, that was a very helpful time for me because I got to work corporate, so I have more to act from. Like I sure. know how the other half lives. Sure. As a producer, when you raise money, I know when people give you money, they're giving you their time. Mm-hmm. And right. I know how costly that is. And, right. and just having the experience that so many people have in America of working for a corporation. Mm-hmm. So I am thankful for it, but I stayed in it too long. Mm. And... And it sucked me in because it was a cool job. Mm -hmm. It was a fun job. It was a creative job. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't the core, like talking about repenting, releasing, and returning of who Kimberly was. It wasn't that pretend, that play, that physical exertion, the being great with language. My whole whole world was visual when I was a designer. Yeah. Wow. It's really this whole concept of, focusing focusing on the 21st cent focusing on on the thing like the gold the gold whenever you know whenever you said oh uh, well it was an enticing job it was a it made me money it was mm-hmm. you know all of these things on the outside it's like yeah take that job like mm-hmm. that job is great but and waiting for the 20 percent digging up the 20 percent holding up the 20 percent cherishing the 20% Mm -hmm. is really hard. It's not easy. It's not Mm -hmm. something that all of us are sitting here in the circle being like, and it was so easy. Like, no, like it's, it's a hard, it's a hard thing to do. Um, but it's so worth it. It's hard. But I think the other thing is harder actually. Mm. I think sometimes choose your heart. Yeah. Yeah, Choose your your heart. Yeah. Is, is I wonder if we were to lean, maybe not the word easy, but if we were to lean into the ease Mm -hmm. 
Mm. You know what I mean? The the stuff that for for one thing, when you dilute it, right. you end up right. So when I was designing, people still kept asking me to be in projects, right? So here right. I have this 80 hour a week job and I'm working and I'm, I'm volunteering for a church 40 hours and then I have, right. I'm sleeping very little yeah. and then I'm in the occasional music video or the occasional fringe festival show or, you know, yeah. all that stuff. And because I couldn't get acting out of my life, right. even if I tried. Yeah. Right. And so suddenly I'm going in a gazillion different directions mm-hmm. Which all keep me in this adrenaline right, junkie totally. phase. It's mm-hmm. adrenaline cycle. And uh, just this week, just this week, I made myself, I like to, I made myself reprioritize. I like mm. to get rid of, I like to get done with the administrative stuff first, mm-hmm. like the busy, and then I, I used to do this when I designed. Like when everyone went home, I'd lock myself in the brand room. Like I'd start with like emails and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. then I'd be there at work till three o'clock in the morning because I'm a night owl. Yeah. No, really, I'm more of a vampire than a night yeah, owl. Yeah, like yeah, really, yeah. really. And I would, and I, that's when I would want to draw and create. And I've tried to switch that because as life has gone on, I never get to the drawing and creating anymore. Mm. I always stay. So like with Le Joie, you know, I was never off book. I was like everyone, I was never, I, as the actress, like, cause I was also, I'm also in the show. Right. Yeah. I, I'm doing all the other stuff. And then I'm right. like, oh, right. I have to be I'm, an actor. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty fast on the uptake. Like I think I would yeah. step in and kind of, but I don't really get to, I love rehearsal yeah. right. and I love swimming in that. And so mm-hmm. this week I made myself go to the dance class in the morning instead right. of the mm. evening class. Made myself, as at auditions that, that aren't due till n- next Monday, like mm-hmm. yesterday, I'm, before I answered even your email back, yeah. I made myself sit with half an hour each with these two different scripts and just do yeah. the fun stuff. And I let myself, you know, vocal warm-ups have ended up being like once every two weeks, once every three weeks instead of every day. And I was yeah. like, I just want to sing. I'm going to let myself. And so... I had this whole like four hour period yeah. where I just did creative stuff before yeah. I answered one email. And I was like, actually, you know what? That is where the ease is. Totally. Yeah. That makes so much wow, sense. Because there's awesome. so much anxiety with the other stuff with like, okay, got to get through this. Got to get through this. Got to get through this. What time is it? What time is it? Yeah. But it was hard at first right. to quiet myself. There was a time when I work, was working on one of the, the scripts where I started to put it down. I did put it down. I was like, I just need to get back to this one. I know I have a text. Wait. And then I was like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to still yourself enough mm-hmm. to get to that creative place. But once I let myself, I was like, oh, thank you, God. This yeah. is me. Yeah. 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 It reminds me of the whole, like, you have to fill up to pour out situation. And it's like, the, sometimes the sending the emails that those things are like, uh, because they're not creative because they're not filling. It is, it is like the pouring out. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you put the things that you're created to do first, um, you know, they fill you up and then it's, I'm sure it's easier than to sit down and s- reply to emails because sure. you're like, Oh, I'm feeling, you know, I, I got in my creative juices are flowing and now I feel like I can send this email instead of being like, Oh my gosh, I've slugged myself through this whole day. And now I have to sit down and send all these emails. And then, because then I I'm this way, if I sit down and I've worked all day or I've done whatever, but I know I have an audition to film or I have a, a script to read, or I have a concept presentation to get done those are all my like, those are the goods, right? But I sit down to send emails and then all of a sudden I've spent 
four hours sending emails and then I'm exhausted. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to go, but I guess I'm going to sleep. I'm not working on anything creative today. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, that's such good advice to flip that. And you forget you, you've stopped being good at it. Right. Right. It starts, the, the emails start to feel more fulfilling because it's checking things off of your mm, list. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, yep. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Spicy. Ooh, yeah. yeah. No, that's good. Okay. Kimberly, why do you think the arts are important? My thesis actually weirdly dealt with this. Um, I was talking about knowing, like epistemology, mm-hmm. like how do we know things and how. Does art figure in with that? And what's interesting about art is it's rational and beyond rationality. It's both. Mm. And to be able to operate on that plane mm. is really important. It's holistic. I think I think mm. art is holistic. I think art is a lot of times the good stuff. Mm. You know, it's the, it's not the survival, we think it's not the survival stuff, but it's like, what are we living for? Right. And it, I think what's also great about art is we get to dance with the truth without really being obsessed with the facts, right? Like, like art doesn't have to answer questions. It gets to ask questions. Art's a place where you can leave every you don't have to wrap everything up in a neat little bow like with a like with a lot of life it's not tied to a certain kind of productivity uh it's not tied to things like healing people medically or you know there's not there there it, it, it can be a little more amorphous sure um and i think the most important thing well play play like we talked about yeah even i even watching a play can be, yeah. or watching a, a movie is playful in a mm-hmm. sense. And also beauty, mm-hmm. right? It's just like yeah. beauty for, for beauty's sake. One time I was walking with my friend David, who works at the Federal Reserve Bank, and I was asking him about how to how to price a certain, you know, we're freelancers, and I was it was a, it was a writing thing, and it was like, well, how do I price this? And so he was talking me through it. And I still remember we were on 47th and 10th Avenue walking away from this wonderful restaurant in Yeho. We just had fish tacos. And <laughs> he was and he was talking about like a formula, like how to, and then he threw out as, as if everyone knew this, like the banker threw out, well, because, you know, you as artists um, explained to the rest of us how to live. So blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? Oh my gosh. Back up. He's like, well, you know, you explain life to us. Like, and I was like, we do? we do. What do we do? Yeah. What do we do? And I don't think we explain it so much as an explanation, but that we explore it and we give people permission to explore it. Um, because I think really good art is never about itself and never about the story. If, if, if you're giving, for instance, let's talk about acting. If you're giving a, a great performance, someone's not going to think about you being a great actor. They're right. going to think about the story. But I think if it's a really fantastic work of art they're not even thinking about the story they're thinking about themselves right how it relates to them same thing if you see a painting anything yeah how it brings them back to them and we don't tell people audiences what to think right we lead them to water and then it's their decision whether or not they want to drink and what they want to drink uh one thing that was really hard for me being in a um it was a pre-phd program that Mm -hmm. i was in and so it was academic at a and I have another master's in acting, but it, this was like an academic mm-hmm. master's 
And it was so tricky to be in that world because they want you to write everything like 10 times. They'd be like, Kimberly, you, say, you need to say this again. I was like, I've already said it seven times. Right, right. And because um, they want you to drive it home. And I said, mm. you know, in my world, we say things half a time. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't even say it all the way. Yeah. You say it <laughs> half a time point. and then you let the other, because you don't want to paint in crayons, right? right? And so I think art is a truly a conversation where and it doesn't have to be charged. You know, you can have a political conversation, you can have a, a familial conversation, you can have a historical conversation, but you're just offering your half half of your, you know, you're out, you're saying it halfway and the yeah. audience is meeting you and seeing where they're right where are where they're where they are in that process. Right. Uh, that's beautiful. I know, it's so good. <laughs> I'm like, my brain is like, whoa, like I'm reeling a little bit. You really do have a, a great way of like explaining these things in a way that I think we feel, but don't necessarily know how to put to words sometimes. Totally. So thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> That's why gift. people always tell me to be an actor. I mean, to be a writer. No, but I'm but an actor. I finally explained it to my dad. My dad, um, super decorated police officer. There's a there's a civic holiday named after him in oh Houston, Texas, January 29th. And wow. he's um, really great at a lot of things. But on the down low, I'm going to tell a secret at home. Uh-huh. My mom's always like, you're not Captain Yates when you walk in the door. You're not the <laughs> captain of anything. He's the stain master. <laughs> nice. He, he can get any stain nice. out of anything. It's like I literally bring things home. Like the cleaners can't get out of you're bringing like, it home. Yeah. yeah. And he'll ask different questions like, okay, so how – how much can I ruin this? Like, how far can I yeah, go? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, is, is it gone? Are we and he, he's amazing. And uh, so much so that my niece, she thought, she didn't know it was Papa. Um, she brought something over the other day and she's like, Grandma, um, can you take this to the same master for me? She's like, oh, we'll just go go give it to Papa. And she thought it was a business. No that's way. So she didn't funny. know. So she's like, wait, Papa's been the stain master all Oh this my time? gosh, that's so that's funny. Adorable. Yeah, it was really adorable. So, um, so, we were talking one day, this was during COVID, and he was uh, saying, I was there at their house, and we were out in the backyard, and we were around a table, and he was just like, I really think you should be writing more, and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you just, he kept saying, you're just so good at it. You just have such a way of expressing things with words. And I said, yeah, but just because you're good at something, he's like, no, if you're good at something. And I was like, hey, dad. Um, how would you feel about being stain master for a living? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he got That's super, good. super quiet, and he was like, Touche. Oh, get <laughs> yeah, it yeah, now. yeah, 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 yeah. So he hasn't been bothering me for the past almost three years. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. That's a, I'm glad that you had that up in your brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To be able to play that card. Exactly. Um, the what you've been saying about, or what you said about, um, you know, the things that we live for. The you know, art is something that we live for. A couple of people have said that uh, since we've been recording and. It just brings me back. I asked these these questions that we've been asking on our podcast to a couple of my um, coworkers the other day because I wanted to see how what their reactions would be. And um, one of the questions we get to is like, what film or book or play or whatever do you think everybody should watch? And um, one of my friends, she said, uh, The Dead Poet Society. And I love that film so much, um, but he almost says that verbatim. Verbatim, uh, Robin Williams does when he gathers all the boys around in the classroom, and there's this one scene where he describes all these different occupations. He's like, you know, the the scientist, the um, lawyer, the 
you know, the medical professional, he's like, all of these things are good and right and beautiful in their own place. But he says, art, beauty, poetry, literature, like stories, these are the things we live for. And I just feel like as artists ourselves, that is so, it's just such a, it gives weight to what we do in a, you know, in a different way and to see that like your friend who's a banker recognizes that and sees that as important um is really cool especially when we've come from a time when we didn't even know if our industry was going to exist in the same way or how we were going to get through the pandemic but the importance of art has sustained through that and the the realization of that Mm. is what helps us stick with the 20 percent Totally. I think yeah. what helps us, what makes us move away from the 20% is we forget that what we're offering is a value. So you were saying, you were, you were talking about, uh, LB, you were talking about how, oh yeah, if, if you do the things that fill you up more, you can pour out. Yeah. And I was actually thinking, actually, that's not about filling me up, just about filling me up. Actually, that is pouring, pouring out. Pouring out, yeah. The, 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 that it's not like, oh, if I go to a dance class, Oh, that is like, no, the, the dance, that is valuable. And sometimes because as artists, the way the business is structured, we do a lot of what we do for free. Totally. You Mm -hmm. know, I feel like my career has been like, you know, super big ticket items and then free. Like I do everything. I (laughs) make an absurd absurd amount of money for like one day of work so that I can do a play downtown for like subway fare for three months. Right. And that that can make you forget, especially in a capitalistic society, right? That can make you forget the value. Mm. And so you do think, oh no, the emails are being more productive. Mm. And and to know that it takes time to build things. Yeah. So of course we can all think, I do a beautiful performance that's valuable because people see it, but I'm sitting in my living room and I'm working on a script. Well, that's just for me. No, no. That's like the inventor in the, you know, that's Mm -hmm. part of the process. Like you're kind of getting paid, so to speak, or your values for the whole process, not just the the finished product. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what ties you when you're like, okay, if writing is your gold or whatever, like, Mm -hmm. and you're getting sidetracked to dramaturgy, which maybe, maybe that is part of it. But it it is good to say yes and dabble for a while and look and experiment. But remembering what I write is valuable, mm-hmm. what they're going to read. But all the drafts that they don't read are still valuable mm-hmm. because that's necessary to yeah. get to the gold. Right. Absolutely. You I talk t- about that. <laughs> Go ahead. I know. You know I was going to say this. I talk <laughs> about this all the time. I went to an exhibit at the Met a couple years ago now, um, and it was uh, – Michelangelo's, uh, basically like lost, uh, drawings because he was so, um, concerned about people only knowing him for his final products that he would burn all of his practice sketches. And so this exhibit was like some of the only found sketches that we have from Michelangelo. And, um, and I was just thinking about that, like how, like we, we now, like his sketches that he was trying to get rid of 
are in the The museum. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's just kind of like how valuable those are to us. And yeah, I just think that the process is so, um, the process is valuable because that's the only way that the final product is going to happen. And we can get so hard on ourselves sometimes about the mistakes or the, you know, the, the second draft or the whatever we're on, um, that we forget, like, this is how, this is how you get to the final product. And even the final product, once you're finished with it is you're going to look back someday and feel like it's not good anymore because you've continued to do your art and you continue to get better and you're going to think, Oh my goodness, but that's just, that's what it is. You right. know, um, I believe Hamilton took seven years to write. Yeah. Yeah. So long. So long. Well, and the first time he performed one of the songs, people laughed at him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can go on to YouTube and watch. There's a video of Lin-Manuel Miranda singing, doing one of the raps. I'm not hundred percent sure. Was it the Aaron one Burr one that he did up uptown? Maybe it is, but he like on the steps of some building or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he literally, you can hear people in the video like cackling. Wow. And now I'm like, <laughs> they're not laughing yeah. now. <laughs> well, and that's such a good example because that piece is so complex Mm. it is so intertwined there's so many callbacks like you can just see like how do you even begin to build this right um you can see it can't just come out linearly right right? it's gonna be uh, stop and start in it because because and the finished product is so cohesive right because it's so complex right which takes time it's totally okay should rapid we do fire? some rapid, rapid fire, fire. Yeah, 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 for the end to finish it off? Okay, so the third question is, what keeps you grounded as a human? Oh, gosh. So I think the true answer to that is, who says I'm grounded as a human? <laughs> <laughs> Not fair. Oh, my word. That, that is, is so fair. <laughs> but I mean, I, I will, I, feel that I can tell level. you, I suppose, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm particularly grounded, but what keeps me, what, I, what gets me closest to it is, I would say, physical activity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and other humans. Yeah. And, and I think those two things, physical exertion and other humans are the way I approach God. That's what gets Mm. me closer to God. Cause ultimately Mm -hmm. I guess, I guess the divine is the only thing that teaches me how to be human, but I can, but we all get to the divine certain ways and Mm -hmm. I have to do that in community and through movement. Totally. Great answer. Yeah. Um, so for question four, um, what person, place, or experience has shaped you the most creatively? Wait, what was question two? Question two is why, why do you, you think, think art, art is important? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, what person, place, or, can you just say that again? Yeah, yeah, of course. What person, place, or experience has shaped you the most creatively? I hate to be the difficult one who doesn't answer any of the questions. No, it's great. The... That's hard to say. I mean, in some ways, wow, I'm literally going to say this myself. Yeah. I think we all, like, we, like, returning back to, sort of going out into the world, Mm -hmm. absorbing it, and then coming back and percolating on it. Totally. But I guess, you know, my brothers and my first boyfriend, my, my first boyfriend who I dated well into um, adulthood is a professional actor mm. and also a musician. And my brothers, my oldest brother's a poet. My brothers are musicians. And so I think like 
and all their friends hanging around because I'm the baby by a lot. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, like, boys, <laughs> I think boys, like, rambunctious high school, college boys, mm-hmm. just jamming out with each other. Yeah. That, in some ways, and and what they introduced me to. Mm-hmm. So, like, there was two ends of the spectrum so I definitely think my brothers were more kind of heavy metal and like um uh avant-garde poetry totally and philosophy and like church boys uh-huh. and then my boyfriend he was like had professional actor parents like his mom was a ballerina and his dad was a Shakespearean actor and so <laughs> I think if I look back in my life it's always opposites yeah yeah come together like Ozzy Osbourne and like Stephen Sondheim and right. how they exploded in my like 13 14 year old brain yeah. Yeah. that that kind of thing wow I love that That's also so cool. I wish we could get that um <laughs> that duo Ozzy <laughs> yeah, Osbourne and Stephen yeah. Sondheim that I'd be here be for it yeah. they would probably kill each other (laughs) they they have such they're such like individuals in their own right I wonder how that would mix but I know (laughs) um last question is what book play or film do you think every person should watch or read oh my gosh it's gonna be difficult again do it because there's please because we're all so individual that whatever speaks to me might not speak to you yeah Mm -hmm. um I would say, from my perspective, things that have spoken to me, I think maybe sacred literature, mm-hmm. ancient sacred literature, yeah. is something that everyone should maybe force themselves to grapple with, whether mm. it be something from the Hebrew Bible or the New Testament or the Quran or the Gita Govinda or just something that's ancient. Because, you know, we all have literally a blind spot. Right. You can mm-hmm. test it with that little black circle, you know, that right. you yeah. with your eye. Yep. You, we have a blind spot. And they say something like when you walked down the street, you're only seeing like 20% of things accurately. Like That's that, crazy. Like that yeah. girl over there walking her dog is really just has a long fuzzy purse. And because yeah. your, your brain wants to be really efficient and it right. wants to kind of get you through your day. And so if we're all so limited, mm-hmm. then... If I'm only seeing 20% of what's in this room accurately, then I want other people in the room sitting in a different position with a different blind spot. And if everyone in my room is from the 21st century, that's the, that's not enough different blind spots. Mm-hmm. I think ancient yeah. literature gets us, at, you know, out, is the closest thing we have to getting us out of our, you know, inviting other people to our party. Totally. To mm-hmm. our room. And I would also say, though... A thing that I think this ties into what's important about art. Um, I was watching To Kill a Mockingbird, Aaron mm-hmm. Sorkin's yes. version. So good. It's so good. It was like I was standing room only. I was standing by there. I had a boot on my foot. Oh and my I God. thought I was going to be able to sit down because you can always sit down because, you know, corporations buy a bunch of seats. But that was the only thing where there was a person in every seat. Like that never happens. Wow. And in that run, that happened. And I wasn't that familiar with the movie or the book. Mm-hmm. Um I know his adaption was controversial in some ways. I thought it was really timely and perfect for us. Mm-hmm. But when I watched To Kill a Mockingbird, I had been actually praying about asking about a certain question in my life, which mm-hmm. is I am a person that's full of a lot of grace. And I was like, God, where's there room for justice? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. where's I don't I don't get that. I don't yeah. I, I am always like, Well, I know he raped her, but you know, like yeah, I'm that yeah, I'm yeah. that person. And 
watching that play and the journey that Atticus goes on mm-hmm. answered that question. Yeah. And I turned to my friend after, as soon as the curtain went down, I said, a good story on its feet can do in two hours what a politician, a teacher, a therapist, or a preacher can't do in 10 years. Mm. And it's not that the... <laughs> wow. It's not that the theater, I mean, that the teacher, the politician, the therapist, or the preacher are not important. Because right. in certain ways, they do more intricate things that do take 10. Mm-hmm. You know, policy is mm-hmm. right. important. The right. therapist helping you work through it. But a good story on its feet mm-hmm. can, it lights so fast. Yeah. It like opens up this, it opens up a door in you that was slammed shut before yeah, right. and makes room for the politicians and the teachers and the preachers and the therapists to do their work. Right. So I guess for me, that version of To Kill a Mockingbird could, mm-hmm. would, did that for me. And I hope everyone finds that for them. And it doesn't just happen once in your life. Right. You know, Much Ado About Nothing did that for me. Kenneth Branagh's version mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And then um, Junebug did that again. Right. And then, you know, the fighter did it again. And so I would say those are my, you know, uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty did it in right. a certain right. way. Yeah. Um, so I would say challenge yourself. Make yourself, don't just, don't just watch the movies that you like. Because um, mm-hmm. another thing I forgot to say when you said, when you talked about what's important about art, so I'm mostly known for my comedy, mm-hmm. and I think that sometimes that laughing is one of the most healing things yeah. that um, can happen. So as makers, I would say adding playfulness um, and adding humor to everything you do, but as audience members, when you say, like, what's an important thing everyone should watch, whatever it is you're watching, look for the fun. Yeah. Look for the smiles. Look mm-hmm. for the 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 danger or the the mischief. Yeah. Um and look for the big things and and note what it's what it's doing to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so good. That that I'm going to stitch that on a pillow that like a good play, you know, In up on hours, its feet it, can yeah. do what it's that tattoo that on my arm, you know, like <laughs> stitch that on a pillow, like on my forehead, maybe so everybody can read it. It's just brilliant. It's so good. I know. Oh my gosh. Kimberly, we're so honored that you spent time with us today. Thank you so much. Truly. This was I, there are so many nuggets from this I know, I know. that I'm going to be like, I'm going to have to listen to, to this my like own five times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but before we wrap up, um, are there, I mean, we talked about Le Joie, but I just want to give you an opportunity if there's other creative things that you want to share um, that you've been working on or that people should look out for and also to share your socials. I can read them too, but. Sure. So I'm really passionate about bringing this play to people who aren't artists, just artists. Mm. So Brian Reinhardt, who you know, and Mm -hmm. I are talking about, we're um, working on some retreats and workshops for, uh, I mean, obviously actors and people like that can come, but Mm. for other people to play in this devised work. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so uh, I guess follow my socials, follow particularly my Instagram Mm -hmm. and and. Le Joie's Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, so that you can be aware of that. And um, 
what else? I feel like there's so many. We're always doing so many things. <laughs> You're um, doing the um, Comic Cons. and Oh, yeah. Come see me at, uh, so I'm doing uh, Annapolis Con next and Con Alt Delete and um, Anime Midwest. But if you join, if you follow my socials, you'll I'll, I'll put that on there. So come see me in Minneapolis and Chicago. Um, you know, you can watch my TED Talk. I would love that. Yeah, yeah. we're definitely going to link that in our um, podcast description. Yeah, totally. I think Ted has that on on YouTube, and uh, and just follow me because and follow Play La Joie because I I will actually put this out there. Um, one of the things that we're doing is trying to develop um, La Joie, the play, and so since you're a bunch of makers out there, constantly looking for, you know people with the lighting creators and sound creators, mm-hmm. but also producers, which is a very creative thing. Yeah, um, yeah. We need a lot of people to help us get this project off the ground and, and, and bring this story. We didn't talk about the subject matter of it, but it is, um, it's called Le Joie, a play about suffering. Le Joie is the French word, French word for joy, which is also the name of the Chagall painting. But, you know, I, I feel like my crusade is to bring joy, is to mm-hmm. fight for, I, I think, living joyfully is a fierce occupation totally and it's to fight for joy but in order to do that you have to realize i mean people die they get terrible diagnoses they get injuries they get uh hurt from each other there is war Mm -hmm. and the joy happens in the midst of suffering and that's a message not just and and the play is not preachy the play is just we're following a couple of characters through through their joy in the midst of insane sorrow and insane joy, you know, and all mixed up into, into one. And, and as humans, how do we grapple with that? And I don't have the answer for that. I'm looking for it. That's why I wrote the play is because I'm looking for the answer. And so, so follow me on socials and then come help me find the answer to this. That's really what I, I would love because tech, this is to makers. Right. And I'm, I'm looking for you. Right. Right. Totally. Wow. You guys, you heard it. You did. (laughs) Okay. So your Instagram is at Kimberly Yates. No yeah, e. I know. No ES. I, I, I should not have let them do that no. to me. But now <laughs> is, it too it. Late to, is it too late to change? And it's two Y's, so it's totally confusing. K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y-Y-A-T. Yeah. No, I like it. And then um, Le Joie is at Play Le Joie. Yes. And Le Joie is L-A space J-O-I-E. We'll link that in the podcast. Yeah, we'll link it. Because on Instagram, it's no spaces, right? It's just Play L A J O I E. Oh, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. There would be no space, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah you, you can just blame, blame it on Chagall. And yeah, exactly. blame it on Chagall. And I mean, just to be like anyone who ever wants to look at my IMDb, I have a bunch of meetings coming up, and that is always helpful if that yes. number goes up. Oh my gosh. Yeah, without a doubt. We'll do some clicking. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're just helping each other out, right? It's right. a makers podcast. Here. This that's, is that's what it's for. Exactly. <laughs> that is literally what this is for. Yep. I was telling them that before is that recently on my bio, I added names that I've always been really protective of not being a name dropper. And I've actually felt a freedom in that lately where yeah. I was like, no, I can, the people who I know won't mind, who I don't have any negative stories to tell about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to put that there. And part of what it's been so great being asked to come on this podcast for, you know, kind of the inside, the insiders right, right. is uh, talking to LB and Rachel just about how to have ownership 
of who we are and what we've done yeah. in a way that's not icky and gross and creepy. Right, right. And mm-hmm. um, so this is kind of an experiment for me. Like, can I, I've always been so locked down again, cause I have a lot of non-disclosure agreements with my coaching, but I've always been so protective and like not wanting to be, you know, braggy. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so the fact that y'all are celebrating coming on here and asking us, well, what have you done and what do you think and how does it work? Yeah. And for my process of my life like this is lit I've done so many podcasts and talk shows and this is the first one I've ever ever sat down mm. and thrown out names <laughs> and had a bio as thorough as the one I gave you yeah. and so I just thank y'all for that opportunity and if it is creepy or gross <laughs> edit it out or let or give us some feedback because yeah, this is yeah, just yeah, an yeah. experiment yeah 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 oh gosh life is a big experiment yeah truly yeah and we've we love being one of our goals was to be able to create a space in which artists can just feel free to tell their story, whatever that may look like, however big, however small, um, because other artists can relate to that because we're all in this together. So being able to, we just thank you for being honest, for being open, um, for sharing your wisdom. Um, we'd love to have you back because we could talk for another, I I'm know. sure, like two days straight. <laughs> yes. um, but we love you, Kimberly. Thank you so much oh, for being here. I love y'all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the For the Makers podcast. There are a few ways you can engage with us. Join our team of dreamers on Patreon for exclusive content you can't get anywhere else. To get updates and find out more about Seated Productions, you can find us on Instagram at seated.productions or visit our website at www.seatedproductions.com. Until next time, listen well and tell stories.